with me for a minute that you've got a difficult circumstance or situation in your life. Is this hard to imagine? Are you with me? All right. So, so imagine you've got a difficult situation or circumstance. And then I would come to you and say, I've got a game-changing solution for you. You'd be like, what? Tell me, what is this game-changing solution? So we are in a series of game-changer because God's Word changes the game. It absolutely changes the game when we take a look at what His Word says and we start to apply it to our lives. It's life-changing. It changes the whole game. So you're ready for what's the game this week? I know, spoiler alert, huh? Uh, But the game is Scrabble, and we're going to be talking about do words matter? So if you've never played Scrabble, I'll just explain it to you real briefly. Each tile is a letter, and it's got a number assigned to it. And as you put all those letters together to make words, you gain a certain number of points. Now on the board, which you don't see in that picture because it's the fruit of the Spirit. How could I resist the fruit of the Spirit and put them up, right? Um, but on the board, you've got different things for double, double points and, and, and whatnot. So it's a game of just putting letters together and making words. So we're going to be talking today about do words matter? Now, let me ask you this question. See if you can complete this saying if you've ever heard it before. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me or names will never hurt me. Anybody believe that statement? Yeah, that that names will never hurt you. Why, Why did we always grow up saying this? Because someone would call us fat. They'd call us ugly. They'd say some mean thing to us and we'd have to, our only response could be sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. It's not true though. It did hurt us, but that was our response, right? That we would say. So this morning we're going to be talking about two things. We're going to be talking about words that were spoken over us. And then what does God have to say about that? And then the power of our words as we speak them over others, all right? So if you're with me, I'm just going to jump right in and talk about what did you hear growing up? What did I hear growing up? I I know that all of us haven't grown up in the same house. We've got very different backgrounds represented here. Some of you grew up in in a great family. Some of you didn't have a family at all that you grew up in. But, but many of us, whether for, for whatever our background, hopefully you can identify with some of the things I'm going to put up here. So maybe you heard that you were important when you were growing up. That's wonderful. Maybe you heard you're such a disappointment. That wouldn't be good. I believe in you. Or perhaps I don't believe in you. I accept you for who you are. Why can't you be like your brother or sister? Yeah. You're loved. Maybe something negative about their spouse. Did you know that one of the ways kids receive love the most is by watching the the mom and dad love one another? And if we talk nasty about one another, our kids don't feel love. I enjoy spending time with you. Or maybe the worst of all is you just heard nothing. Like mom or dad was present, but they didn't say anything to you. You're just ignored. All of that has a lasting effect on us. And now if you were here last week and you heard Josh talk about mousetrap, do you remember he talked that we've all got an enemy? And it says in John 10.10, the the thief or the enemy comes to rob, to kill, and to destroy. But that Jesus said he came that we, we would have life to the full. We would have abundant life. So he, Josh mentioned in last week's sermon, he, he looked at Luke 4 and he talked about when Jesus went into the wilderness and when he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, 
And then he was tempted at the end of fasting for 40 days. And for every temptation that the enemy brought him, Jesus said something. There was a strategy he used. He came back with God's word. So the enemy, he was hungry and he said, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus goes, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So we see this. This was Jesus' strategy. And and Josh put together a little card. So I wanted to let you know these cards are available at shallowcommunity.church backslash your word says, or there's some still at the Connect Center from last week. And this past week in our small group, we had a wonderful time just reading through all of these categories and talking through the scriptures and then sharing, hey, you know what, in in a situation of fear, here's another scripture that I will turn to. And and we're adding to the card because I I brought the cards home. You know, I work here, so I, I had them and I could take them home. But if you don't have them, take a card, fill them out. Put, put more scriptures down that, that maybe are your to-dos. But the thing is, he's got a blank spot at the bottom. And I thought, ah, pretty cool. I'm going to fill that blank spot this week. So we're talking about the power of words spoken over us. And I want to say, what does God's word say about us? So let's look at this category called identity for a minute. And I'm just going to give you a couple of scriptures. But, you know, if you've, if you've had things spoken over you in your past... Sometimes old tapes die hard, don't they? Right? I wish it was just one erase and they'd all be gone. But it takes time to get things out of our head that may have been spoken to us. So what does God's word have to say? Because who would you rather believe this morning? Would you rather believe the God in heaven who created you and knew you before you were born? Or would you rather believe someone that spoke something mean and nasty to you when you're growing up? I know I'd rather, I'd rather believe God. So let's look at what his word has to say. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. Did you know you're a masterpiece? I mean, really now, how many of you walked in here today going, I'm a masterpiece? Yeah, come on. Right? We don't often think of ourselves as masterpieces. Usually we're, you know, hunched over, don't want to look anyone in the eyes, not feeling good. No, God says you're a masterpiece. He created you anew in Christ Jesus so you can do the good things he planned for you long ago. Now, if you've ever heard uh, an author and speaker called Gary Smalley, he uses this example about a violin. And he'll he'll come into a crowd and say, yeah, you know what, I picked up this violin at a yard sale this weekend, and and I just want you all to take a look at it. And he passes the violin around. It doesn't have any strings on it. doesn't look very good. And and everybody just kind of passes it around. No big deal. It's just a broken up violin. But then if he would come into the same group and say, hey, I, I just had the most amazing thing happen to me. I won an auction for a million dollars and was able to buy a Stradivarius. It, it's not fixed up. It needs to be a lot, you know, needs a lot of reconditioning. But here, I just want you to see what does a Stradivarius look like? You'd pick up the same junky looking violin, but this time you'd be like, oh, it's a Stradivarius. I've never held a Stradivarius before. They both look like junk, but one has a lot of value and it's because of who made it. It's, it's because it's a Stradivarius, right? So do you see that when God makes you, he makes you a masterpiece. Sure, all of us are needing in, we're, we're in need of reconditioning, but God's made you a masterpiece. You have value in who you are. So that's one thing God says of us. We're his masterpiece. Next, he says in Romans eight thirty seven, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So I thought about this word, more than conquerors. What does it mean we're more than a conqueror? So imagine that I enter a ring, I fight a fight, 
I win the battle, and what do I get? Maybe I get a trophy, but I get a title. I'm a conqueror because I fought and I won. Okay, but now, so take that definition. What does more than a conqueror mean? Right, if, if I'm a conqueror because I had to fight the battle and win, more than a conqueror is someone who gets a title and a trophy and they didn't have to do a thing. And see, that's why Jesus calls us more than a conqueror because he did it all. But you get to take that title and trophy of, of eternal life because of what he did on the cross. You can't earn it. You can't do it. But he gives you that title and trophy of more than a conqueror. So a couple weeks ago, I sent all the elders a text at about 1230. It said 26.2, check, because I just finished a marathon, right? And, and we went back and forth. They wanted to know, just let us know you're alive and you're coming home after you run this thing. And I'm like, okay, done. We, we got it. So I've talked a lot. I want to put this 26.2 on the back of my car and blah, blah, blah. So Steve Hammes sends me a text back and he goes, wow, that's awesome, Greg. Congratulations. I fully expect to see that 26.2 bumper sticker on your car this week. I bought one today for my car so that we can have matching stickers. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I was a conqueror, but Steve Hammes was more than a conqueror, right? He's got the 26. He, did, he didn't buy it, but he, he would have the 26.2 and he never even had to run the race. That's what it means to be more than a conqueror. You have all of the accolades. You have all the rights and the privileges, but you didn't even do it. That's what God says about us. Go God, yeah. All right, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you know that you're God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? We're God's temple. Like in, in the Old Testament that had a temple, there was only one place that God's Spirit could dwell, could dwell. But we are God's temple in the New Testament as His creation. And He says His Spirit dwells inside of us. You've got the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwelling in you. That's amazing. That's what God says about us. So, so why would I think anything negative about me? Here's what 1 Corinthians 3.16 says. Actually, no, that's not the verse. Where's the verse? So it's, I want to talk about God's word washing us. I don't think I gave you that scripture yet. Here it is. It's Ephesians 5, 25 and 26. So Jesus is talking that he gave his life up for the bride. And he says, he gave his life up to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleaning and the cleansing of God's word. So Jesus gave his life so that we could be cleansed by his word. Jesus is the word made flesh. So as I look at these scriptures and I think, what does God say about me? There needs to be a cleansing that happens. And, and it doesn't happen quickly. So if you've ever been in a public restroom, sometimes they have those signs about how long you're supposed to wash your hands, right? Some of us read the Bible like this. We just wash our hands and we're done. But did you know, in a, they say in a public restroom, like sing the whole happy birthday as you're washing your hands. And by the time you get all done, you've washed your hands long enough. Anybody sing happy birthday when they wash their hands? Wow, we do. Awesome. She sings happy birthday. That's great. I just washed my hands and I'm done. If you don't wash your hands, that's gross. Please wash your hands. Um, but some of us take God's word and we just wash. But God wants you to wash your hands with the water of the word. And some of those tapes that we have in our heads, they take washing. It's like, it's like skunk. 
You know, when it gets on you, it's almost like you can't wash it off. You got to keep washing and washing and washing. And maybe you're using the wrong verse. Maybe you need a different verse, like that tomato juice that gets the skunk oil off of us. Find the verse in God's word that applies to your situation and wash yourself with it. All right, so that's what God's word says about us, what our identity is. Let's look now at the power that our words have in situations for what we speak to others. And, and how aware we need to be about that. So to, to do this, I'm going to turn to James 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 12. So feel free to, to read along with me. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire. For it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil. It's full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, that's not right. Does a spring of water bubble up with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Wow, I love God's word. It just says it in such a way, doesn't it? So I want to take some observations from James so that we can kind of unpack this a little bit, right? The first observation would be this. Hey, I'm really glad that we all make verbal mistakes, right? I'm not the only one that can stick my foot in my mouth. You do it too. James says we all do it, that we all have times where we say things we wish we hadn't have said. Sometimes I'll, I'll say this. When I realize I said something and I shouldn't say it, I'll, I'll do this as kind of a recovery. Did I just use my out loud voice? I, I thought I was only thinking that. I'm so sorry for saying it out loud. Now, I shouldn't even been thinking it. Right? But, but, but how do you recover when you say something that, that you shouldn't have said? We'll see the next takeaway, verse 3 to 5. A horse is guided by a bit, a ship by a rudder. Don't underestimate the power of your tongue. It might be a little, little tongue, but it can really change the course of your life and how your life affects others. We can tame many things, James says, but who can tame the tongue? And then lastly, we speak blessings and cursings or curses out of our mouth. These things should not ought to be, right? How many of you have ever gone apple picking in the fall? Did you ever go into that orchard and find oranges? No, because oranges don't grow on an apple tree. But yet inside of us, we've got out of one heart comes blessing and cursing. And, and it should be coming just what is on our heart, what we should share, what comes from, from who we are. So what is it that makes us say, blessing and cursing out of the same mouth. If I could show you this morning why it is you say some of the things you say, would that be helpful to you in terms of trying to identify and then correct putting your foot in your mouth? Right? I could use this. 
So if it's just for me, maybe it will just share it for me. But maybe it'll be helpful for some of you too. So we're going to look at what God's word has to say in Matthew 12. It says, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. How about that, huh? Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. If I would continue reading on in 35, it says, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of what? An evil heart. So the words you say, they're either going to acquit you or condemn you. Right? Our mouths speak based on what's in our heart. Have you ever heard of the hammer test? The hammer test is really easy. You put your thumb out, you take a hammer, and you whack it, and you see what comes out of your mouth. That's how you know what's in your heart. No, I'm not recommending you go home and do this, all right? If you do it by accident where you ever hit, you know what could happen, right? I'm not going to try that here on a Sunday morning. But I'm not talking about what comes out by accident. I'm talking about what comes out intentionally, right? What, are, what comes out? Ephesians 4.29 says, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Our words matter. What, what we say matters to others. It matters to the hearer. And frankly, it's a reflection of what's in our heart. So if we know that our words come from what's in our heart, what would it look like to redeem our tongues? So I, I, I want to spend the rest of our time looking at five different ways that we can redeem our tongues but actually, to, to redeem your tongue, it starts with what's in your heart. So I want to first look at the scripture in Philippians. First way to redeem our tongue. Rely on God's strength. Philippians 2.13 says, it's God who works in you. We could just stop right there. It's God that does the work in us. See, if, if I try to like, you know, put a choke collar on and, and give, give a zapper to my wife, and every time I say something, she goes zap and I'm zapping, that's man working on me. That's not, but it's God that works in me to change who I am. I have to recognize, God, this is your work. I, I can't do it by myself. I need you. Lord Jesus, help me say things that are good, that are, that are going to be encouraging. And then I look at Philippians 4.13. It says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So we recognize first it's God's work and he'll give us the power we need to do everything but we've got to rely on him, amen? That's a good place to start. So then next I want to say this, Psalm 1914. We need to dedicate our heart and our tongue to God every day. And this is what it could look like. David says this, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Do you see what he does here? He, he kind of equates just what we saw before. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart because why? They're connected. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So David's is saying, God, work in the meditation of my heart so that what I speak would be good words. So what are we meditating on? Right? What do you hear throughout the day? What, what are you putting into your head? Now, some of us, you may, you may work in an environment where what you're hearing is garbage. It's not good stuff. And, and I remember a time when I was an intern back in college and and I was focusing on hey, trying to put good things in my head. And I go to this job in Reading, Pennsylvania. And I'm, I'm in a small department. There's only eight people in an apartment. And each of us had a desk, but we were in one room. 
Remember when offices were like that? I don't know if they still have it. Now there's cubicles and dividers, but we're in one open room. And this other guy there, man, he would just let the F-bombs and the GDs fly all day long. And, and I just found myself like, you hear it, you think it, and I'm like, this is garbage coming in. I don't really want this, but I'm an intern. He's a full-time employee. What do I do? Now, if you know me very well, I can't stay silent for too long when stuff like this goes on. It's just how I'm wired, right? So a couple of days of this go on. This guy lets out a G, damn it. And I'm like, why are you bringing the big guy into it? Like, it was you that made the mistake. And all the other people in the office sitting around, whoa, you just got burned by the intern. <laughs> but you know what? It caused this guy to think. And the next time he said it, I'm like, did God make the, that mistake or did you? Because why are you damning him? And, and after a while, he stopped, he stopped with those G dammits. Now, yeah, there were still other curses that were flying, but, but here's the point. We can take control over what comes into our mind. And, and maybe you're in a situation that's caustic. Try to change it. Try to say, hey, let's raise the professionalism of what we're doing here. I don't know too many people that say, oh, I don't want to be a professional. I'd rather be a lowlife, right? People want to attain to something higher. So when I was a boss at Intel, this is what I did. I found George Washington's order of profanity and I posted it in my office. And my first staff meeting with the team, I read George Washington's order of profanity. If you don't know it, go look it up. It's amazing. He ordered his troops. There will be no profanity in any of my troops. And I said, hey, this is a professional environment. We're going to keep it clean. So then if someone would, would you know, let a, a curse word fly, they look at me. They wouldn't look at any other woman in the room, but they look at me and they go, I'm sorry, Greg. And I'm like, hey, we're going to keep it clean. But, but I had an influence on what people did. So let's dedicate our heart and our tongue to God every day. And then next, God says, let his word change our heart. So we find we found one thing in Psalm 19. Now we're going to look at 119. It says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Maybe you've heard the statement, you are what you eat. True, right? But we are what we eat spiritually too. If we put God's word into our heart, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You know, anybody have a problem where certain things just tick you off and, and like your flashpoint is really low? It doesn't take much and all of a sudden, bam, you just... So my thing is getting on the phone with Verizon. I don't know what it is about Verizon. I, I apologize to them. But I can get on the phone with Verizon and, and it seems like whatever I want them to do, they can't do for me or, or whatever the deal is, right? So, so if, if you've been on the phone with Verizon, usually you ask to speak to a supervisor. Maybe that could help, right? And then you're listening to what? You're listening to that voicemail go on and it's kind of like Jesus drawn in the sand. I'm just getting madder and madder as I'm hearing the, the, the recording. And one time the recording's going on, you as our customer, you're the most important thing, and blah, blah, blah. And then the lady comes on, she tells me no, and I'm like, hey, look, wait a minute. I'm the customer, and I'm not satisfied. Well, you know where that got me? Nowhere. But all my family heard it, and now I'm teased for the rest of my life. Yeah, do you remember the time that dad said, he's the customer, and he's not satisfied? Ha, 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 ha. Well, here's what God's word has to say. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know what my wife's strategy is? She comes with honey. And it's amazing. Like she, They will give her anything she wants because she comes with honey. And I'm like, hmm, maybe there's something to this, right? That I come with vinegar and I, I'll be all nasty and I get nothing. She comes with honey, wow. So 
Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And then I can read 2 Timothy 3.16 on the screen. All scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Oh yeah, I'm learning slowly, but I'm learning. Honey is better than vinegar. And it teaches us what to do is right. So, so we ask God's word, God, would your word change my heart? Show me how to change my heart. Number four, ask for forgiveness for unloving words or attitudes. So we read in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, if you would come to dinner at my house years ago when all the kids were home and we were kind of working together as a family, everyone had an assigned seat. And here's why. Because one son and one daughter could not look at one another during dinner because if they did, they'd get into a fight, right? Maybe you got houses like this where you understand what I'm saying. But, but the words sometimes that were said around the dinner table especially, they weren't always kind. And then we would have to practice, here's how you apologize. And, and you try to teach a little kid to apologize and go, sorry. No, 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 that's not how you apologize. How do you apologize? You say, I'm sorry for, you spell out the whole thing that you're sorry for. And then what do you got to do next? You got to say, will you forgive me? And you don't say it as fast. Like you got to put some meaning. You got to really be sorry from your heart. Because one time we did this and the sister said to the brother, you're not sorry. And he's like, you're right, I'm not. I'm just doing it because mom and dad told me to. Yeah, well, all right, that's not the way to apologize. You really have to be sorry. But we learn this as kids. But do we do it as adults? Do we apologize well? What, what would it look like for us to apologize when we mess up? So just this week, I, I don't know, I'm a geek, I'm guilty, but I, I go to auto fair and I get my car inspected and they have this whole long report. If you ever go to auto fair, it's incredible. Like they give you an encyclopedia about what they just did to your car, you know? So I come home and I'm excited to read about my new tires and to see about the torque converter they put in. And, and Meg says, wow, how you doing? I had such a good day today. And I should have never said this, but I'm like, so what happened? As I start to look at my auto fair thing. So I'm at the island reading my auto fair report and she's, dun, 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 dun. I have no idea what she says. In fact, in the middle of it, she said, you're probably not listening to me right now, are you? I never even heard that. So I, I finish, I look at my alignment, I'm seeing the before and after, the greens and the reds and, and then I'm done and I'm like, it's quiet in here. Hmm, that's probably not a good sign. It's really quiet in here. Oh my gosh, I asked Meg how her day was and then I got engrossed. I'm like, did I just ask you how your day was? And she's like, yep, you did it again. You didn't listen to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. All right, husbands, help me out. Any husband ever not listen to your wife? Like, let me feel a little better. Okay, good. We're out there. So what did I have to do? I had to apologize to her because it wasn't something I said. It's what I didn't say, right? But we all have attitudes. We have words. Practice apologizing. We should, we should learn how to apologize well. And, and especially if you've done it multiple, multiple times, like I'm like, I'm not just sorry. I am so sorry. Because like we've talked about this. I know that I can get engrossed in things and, and I forgot and I'm so sorry. So ask forgiveness for, for unloving words and for attitudes. All right, last, number five. Learn to speak words that encourage, comfort, inspire, and edify. The first scripture is not from Ephesians. I'm just testing your knowledge of the word. It's actually from Colossians. Uh, but it says, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt 
so that you will know how you should respond to each person. And then Ephesians 4.29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So remember the other week when Pastor Ed, it was the week I was running my marathon and Pastor Ed said he was going to be training for a marathon, right? Do you remember that? And he said he was going to start to run across the parking lot. That was his first part of the training. And the next week he was going to run across and back. And sooner or later, he'd work up to 26.2. Well, he was here in first service. He's teaching growth track right now. But I gave him some advice for service and I want to give you the same advice. Did you know that your lungs are a muscle? And you can train your lungs, right? So how often you breathe and how you breathe is trainable. I I just thought it happened unconsciously, right? But I I learned this from my son and his cross-country training at, at college that, you know, every time you run, count how many strides to an inhale and how many strides to an exhale. And I was telling Ed, Ed, as you run across the parking lot, think how many inhales, and I mean, how many strides to an inhale and to an exhale. And and what I found when I was running was it would be like two strides inhale, two strides exhale. No, that's that's weak sauce for runners, right? You want to have three strides, four strides, five strides. My son can do six strides for one inhale. So he's like, he's breathing slow, deep, and then exhaling deep, and, and you get rid of all the lactic acid. And I tried it. I had to slow down my pace, but I went from two to three to four And it's like, you know what, running, I always used to feel out of breath. I don't feel out of breath anymore because I trained my lungs. Now, if you can train a lung that you never thought you could train, why can't we train our tongues? We can. We can train our tongues. We can learn to speak words that encourage, that comfort, that inspire, that edify. First, it starts by putting things that are good inside of our heart. But then we can also be thinking, hey, you know what, I don't want to do this. I want to do that. And, and God will allow us to actually train our tongues. But it happens how? It happens with repetition. It happens by practice. Right? I didn't run, I didn't run 26.2 in a day. It took me four months to train. And I was already pretty fit before I started. But every day, the washing. Not just wash. It's the washing. And we can train our tongues that we would actually be able to say, you know what? I want to be known as that person that walks in the door and I'm like, wow, Greg's always so upbeat. He's got such an encouraging word. Don't you love people like that? Instead of the, I'm the customer and I'm not satisfied. Where does that get us? It doesn't get us anywhere. So ask ourselves this. What if every day we said, is what I just said encouraging, comforting, inspiring, or edifying? Like if it's not, take ownership of it. Apologize. And, and plan, God, I want to do better. I want to get your word in my heart. I, I want to see my mind renewed. I want the washing of the water by the word. So as we close today, we talked, we all have wounds. Wounds from our past. What are the wounds that are in your life or my life? Let's look at what God's word has to say. Go to shallowcommunity.church backslash your word says. And look at that identity box. Add more to, your, add more to the card or, or to your Bible. But we need to look at what God's word has to say because God's word will help change us from the inside. Next, have we wounded others with our words or attitudes? I hate to say it, but I do it frequently, more frequently than I want. So now what do we do about it? Are are we going to come in forgiveness and are we going to come in asking for forgiveness with an apology, a well-thought-out, a well-worded apology? When we wound others with our words, it's not okay. 
Now, how do we redeem our tongue? I gave us five ways we could redeem our tongue, starting with rely on God first. It's God that does the work in us. But then we dedicate our heart and tongue to God. We ask him to change our heart. We ask for forgiveness. And then we learn to speak words that encourage, comfort, inspire, and edify. So let's stand as as we close in prayer. And I want to ask ourselves this question. What do you hear God saying this morning? So we've covered a lot of ground. We've read a lot of scriptures. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of our Lord is going to stand forever. Amen? So what is it that we've heard today that's going to stand forever? We want to put that deep in our heart. So let's pray. God, we come to you today, Lord, and and we ask that your word would stand forever in our lives. Lord, your word that has gone out this morning, it doesn't return unto you void. It accomplishes what you set it out to do. So God, if there's been things that have been spoken over us, Lord, that are, are negative and have bound us, Lord, you want us to have freedom. Let us find freedom in your word. Let us find freedom in what your word says about us. God, to the extent that we use our words to harm others, God, we're sorry. We are so sorry, Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus, to take control of our tongues, to put good things in our heart, because we know out of our heart, Lord, out of what our mouth speaks comes from our heart, Lord. So help us, Father, put good things in our heart. Help us train our tongues today and this week. So we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise and honor this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would like prayer for anything, please feel free to come forward. But if not, have a great day. God bless.